Namaskaram. That was um, Sadhu Om singing uh, uh, um, the 12th verse of uh, Sri Arunat Chakram Lai, which is the verse I'm going to be talking about today. What Bhagavan says in this verse is, Oruvana munne oliteva varuva unsu deidu arunachala. That means, literally, the literal meaning is, Arunachala, hiding you who are the one, who can come? This is only your trick. Um, this, very, a number of shades of meaning here. That is, when he says, hiding you, that the principal implication of that is hiding from you. So the, the, the main meaning of the verse is Arunachala, hiding, that is the main implication of the verse is Arunachala, hiding from you, who are the one, that is the only one who actually exists, who can come into my heart? Um, uh, this, the entry of the five sense thieves in my heart is only or certainly your trick. Um, but it gives a number of, of other meanings. That is, the one can, all, can be taken to mean the only one who actually exists. It can also be taken to mean the peerless one. So another meaning is, I'm actually hiding from you who are the one, that is the peerless one, other than whom there is nothing and no one equal or superior, and hence no one who could ever delude or evade you, preventing you from seeing their entry, who can come into my heart? This is only your trick. Or we can take it, we can take the hiding, we can take it in the sense of um, excluding. Excluding implies, excluding you implies other than you. So another meaning is, I'm actually excluding or other than you, who are the only one, uh, uh, who else can come into my heart? This is only your trick. And a third, another way we can interpret it, if we take hiding literally to mean hiding or concealing, I'm actually hiding or concealing you, who are the only one who actually exists, who can come into my heart? This is only or certainly your trick. Um, I'll start by explaining word for word what this means, and then we can understand how these different meanings are uh, uh, imp implied in the verse. Um, though they're different, they're different meanings, they're different shades of meaning, they're not radically different meanings. Um, the word, the first word is oruvan. Oru is an adjective that means one, but in some contexts it means unique, special, peerless, or incomparable. And oruvan, which is the word Bhagavan uses here, is a masculine personal noun formed from this adjective. So it means someone, a man, a person, or and it can also mean one who is peerless, incomparable, or unique. In this context, it implies either the only one who actually exists. In other words, one who is ekameva advitium, the one referred to in the Upanishads as ekameva advitium, one only without a second. In other words, the one other than whom nothing exists. Or it can mean the peerless one, other than whom there is nothing, there is nothing and no one equal or superior. So that's the first word, Oroban. It has those two, two meanings. 
Um, and Murugana says in his commentary about these two meanings, the first one, uh, uh, in the sense of uh, the, the only one who actually exists, that is, uh, that is referring to that is the Advaitic meaning, whereas the peerless one is according to a, a Dvaita. We can take it either way. Both are equally appropriate here. And they're actually very compatible, as we can see. That is often in Akshram, like though there are different, the verses give different meanings. Those meanings are often very complementary meanings. And we get the full, if we consider all the different implications, we get the fuller meaning. Because Bhagavan's, every word of Bhagavan is pregnant with meaning. It has so much meaning that different words will, will according to our state of mind, the, different word, the same word will have different meanings in different, uh, uh, when, when we're in different states of mind. So there are all these various shades of meaning we can find in Akshramlai. They're all, they're all there for a purpose. We can't say any one meaning is the correct meaning. We can sometimes say this is the principal meaning and the others are alternative meanings. But even to say which is the principal meaning very much depends upon the attitude of the individual. So if, if one person prefers to take one meaning as the main meaning and another person prefers to take the, the another meaning of the principal meaning, both are equally right. Um, that is why Bhagavan, when he was asked what is the meaning of Akshram Rai, uh, he always refrained from giving the meaning. Because if he if he had given the meaning, that would limit uh, that would limit it. Because he didn't want to limit it when Murugana um, was in doubt in various places. What Bhagavan's intention was when he asked Bhagavan, Bhagavan said, the one who composed this Akshramlai, he has gone. If you want me to tell you the meaning, I have to break my head to work out the meaning. You may as well break your head to work out the meaning, give your own meaning. So the reason Bhagavan did that, he didn't want to limit the meaning. So we can't say that Murugana, the meanings given by Murugana or the meanings given by anyone are exhaustive. There's always potential for new meanings, new appropriate meanings can be seen in it according to the state of our mind. Uh, so as I say, the first meaning, the first word, Oruvan, it means the one, uh, the one person, that it's a personal noun, uh, but it can mean the only one who actually exists, the one who is one without a second, or it can mean the peerless one, the unequaled and unsurpassed one. Um, the next word is arm, which is an adjective of participle, but means which is, or in this context, who is. And then unne is the accusative form of the second person singular pronoun, you. So oruvanam unne means you who are the one. And it implies either you who are the only one who actually exists or you who are the peerless one, other than whom there is nothing and no one equal or superior. The next word is olitu, um, which is an adverbial participle that means hiding or concealing. So unne olitu means literally means hiding you. But in this context, it implies hiding from you. In other words, unknown to you. Uh, ever is a, an interrogative uh, pronoun, interrogative uh, personal pronoun that means uh, literally it means which person or which people. Um, 
It's actually plural in form, but it can be taken. Um, the, it, it's a plural form, but is often used in an honorific sense. So it can either mean can either be taken as singular or plural, which person or which people. Um, in this context, because Bhagavan's referring to a five sense, these we can take to which people, or we can simply say who, who is a simple way of translating it. Uh, and the next uh, word is the main verb of the sentence, uh, varuva, is the third person plural, or again, it's, a, it's a, a plural form that's often used it as an honorific singular form, so it can be either plural or honorific uh, future or predictive form of the verb va or varu. So it means uh, will come. But in this context, it, it implies can come. So the first sentence of this verse, oruvana munne, oliteva varuva, is a question that literally means hiding you, who are the one, who will come. And it, what it implies is, uh, or the principal meaning implied by it is hiding from you who are the one who can come into my heart. Um, if we take Oruvan, the one, to mean the only one who actually exists, this question implies since you are the only one who actually exists, other than you, who else can come into my heart? When we interpret it thus, Unne Olitu, hiding you, has two implications. Firstly, it implies excluding you in the sense of other than you. And secondly, it implies concealing you by making you uh, appear in the guise of others, uh, namely the five sense thieves. Um, that is, the five sense thieves, all sense objects, the, the whole world is nothing but sense objects, as Bhagavan says in verse six of uh, Uludunapadu. So the whole world is, is uh, it consists only of sense objects. Since Arunachi is the only one, they, it is Arunachi in the guise of this world um, that is now deluding our mind. That's the implication. So since there's no one other, since that is, since no one other than Arunachala actually exists, it cannot be anyone other than him who enters our heart in the guise of the five sense thieves, namely the Shayavasanas, that is the, the, the Aimpula Kalba, the word Bhagavan used in the um, previous verse, the Aimpulangal uh, is the five kinds of sense objects. But the Kalba, the thieves, are not. it's not the sense objects themselves that are the thieves, it's our Shayavasanas, our inclination to attend to those sense objects, they are the thieves. Um, so it, it cannot be anyone other than him who enters our heart in the guise of the five senses, namely the Shayavasanas, stealing our mind or attention away from him by dragging it out outwards to roam about the world. So by appearing in the form of these thieves, he is hiding himself from us. So that's uh, one way we can interpret it. Alternative, we take Oruvan to mean the peerless one, this question implies, since you are the peerless one, other than whom there is nothing and no one equal or superior, who has the power to enter my heart, concealing their entry from you? That is, Arunachala is peerless because he is the eternal son of pure awareness, which never rises or sets, and by whose light everything else shines. So there is nothing and no one 
equal uh, or sp- equal or superior to him in any way. As he says in the next verse, namely verse 13, he says there, uh, oppo, he addresses Aranatha as Oppu Wivu Illoi, you who are without equal or superior. Um, and what he says about Aranatha, by the way, equally applies to Bhagavan because we should always remember, though Bhagavan is singing this song to Aranachala, Arunachala and Bhagavan are one and the same. It is Arunachala singing this song to himself or Bhagavan singing this song to himself. They are one and inseparable. As he says in the second verse, um, uh, no, sorry, not that, sorry. The second verse is, Arohusan Darambol, Ahomum Niyomut, Trabinama Irpom Arunachala. One meaning of that is, a literal meaning we can take as uh, you and I are, uh, are completely non-different like Arahu and Sundaram. So Arunachal and Bhagavan are one and the same. Arunachal is Bhagavan in in hill form. Bhagavan is Arunachal in human form. So when he addresses Arunachal in the next verse as Onkarapurul Oppoyabilloi Unea Radibar Arunachala, import of Om, uh, you who are unequaled and unsurpassed, who can understand you? That applies equally to Bhagavan, uh, to himself, as it does to Arunachala. So, um, and since Arunachala is, is peerless, he's one and unequal, he, he, sorry, he's, he's unequaled and unsurpassed, so he's peerless in every possible respect, there is no one who could ever delude him or evade, or, or, or evade him preventing him from seeing their entry into our heart. So how is it that these five sense thieves have entered our heart and are now dragging us outwards away from him? The answer to this is given in the next sentence, Unsu Deidu Arunachala. This is only or certainly your trick, Arunachala. Un is a genitive form of the second person uh, singular pronoun, so it means your. Sude is an intensified form of sudu, which is a Tamil noun derived from the Sanskrit noun uh, duta, which means gambling or playing with dice, but is also used figuratively to mean a battle, fight, or contest. However, sudu in Tamil uh, means more than just gambling or playing dice. It also means that, but it also means the device themselves or any device any means, secret, or trick. And in this context, it's used primarily, primarily in the sense of trick. So unsudu means your trick, and its intensified form, unsude, means only your trick or certainly your trick. And idu means this, referring here to the entry of uh, entering of five sense thieves into the heart of a devotee, what he was talking about in the previous verse. So Unsu Deidu means this, the entry of the five sense thieves in my, into my heart is only or certainly your trick. So does Bhagavan think that Arunachya is actually intent on tricking him? No, this is the banter of a lover talking to her beloved, chiding him for allowing her mind to be carried away by the deceptive allurement of the five sense thieves. 
since he is peerless in every respect, those thieves could have not have entered her heart without his knowledge and consent. And since he is the only one who actually exists, they must be him in the disguise of thieves. So she playfully concludes that this must be his trick. But would Aranacha ever want to trick any of his devotees? Obviously not, because his sole intention is to save us from the delusion of ego and all its progeny, namely these, uh, particularly these five uh, sense thieves, which are the first generation of its progeny. Um, that is, the Vasanas are the first generation of the ego's progeny, and all the, the Vishaya Vasanas are the first generation, and the Vishayas that are, but those Vasanas are the seeds that sprout as all the Vishayas. So all Vishayas, all objects or phenomena, are uh, the second generation, so to speak. Um, so if we are deluded by these thieves, we have no one to blame but ourselves. When we rise as ego, we grasp the form of the body as ourself, and consequently we grasp other forms that seem to be presented to us through the doorway of the five senses of this body. And we cannot stand for a moment as ego without constantly grasping forms in this way. This is what Bhagavan says in verse 25 of Napadu. Grasping form, it comes into existence. Grasping form, it stands. Grasping and feeding on forms, it flourishes abundantly. Leaving form, it grasps form. So grasping form is the very nature of ego. But ego itself, as he says in the last line of that verse, is a formless phantom. So if instead of trying, instead of grasping forms, if it tries to grasp itself, what happens to ego? Tedinal otum pidicum. If sought, it takes flight. That is, if ego, instead of allowing its attention to go out towards other things, turns its attention back on itself, it subsides and dissolves back into its source. Why? Because it's just a formless phantom. It's got no, it's got no form of its own. It's got no substance of its own. When we look at ourselves carefully enough, we see we are not ego. We are just pure awareness, which is the source from which ego has risen. Um, uh, therefore, our rising as ego is the root cause of our being deluded by the allurement of these five sense thieves. That is, the five sense thieves, the, the, the five kinds of sense objects appear, well, all objects appear only when we rise as ego. As he says in the next verse of World Udnapti, verse 26, if ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. If ego doesn't exist, everything doesn't exist. Ego itself is everything. Therefore, investigating what it is, is giving up everything. Because by investigating ego, ego will dissolve back into its source and everything else will cease to exist along with it. This is why the ultimate aim of Aranachala is to eradicate ego and thereby save us from it and all its progeny. Why then does he allow us to rise as ego and thereby be deluded by the enticements of the five sense thieves? Sense objects have no power of their own to entice us. So we're enticed by them only because of our Vishaya Vasanas, our inclinations to seek happiness in Vishayas. That's in ob Vishayas means objects or phenomena. In other words, they delude us only because we are willing to be deluded by them. The Vasanas are our, our, when we say, when we 
I explained Vasana's its inclinations. Inclinations means what we like. We we like to seek happiness. We are in things other than ourselves. We well, we like to attend to other things because we believe they are sources of happiness. In other words, they delude us. That these five kinds of sense objects delude us only because we are willing to be deluded by them. Because we wrongly believe that we can obtain happiness from sense objects, we are constantly allowing our attention to be dragged outwards by them. And thereby we are forsaking our natural, who is always shining in our heart as our own being, I am. Therefore, so long as we want to be carried away by the five sense thieves, our natural will not prevent us from doing what we want to do. This does not mean that he is indifferent to our folly and consequent plight, nor that he is doing nothing about it, but he will not force us against his will. Therefore, he works from deep within our heart, gradually rectifying our will. But since it is our will he is rectifying, he can do so only through us and with our cooperation. When we are struggling to avoid being swayed by our Vishaya Vasanas, which are the thieves that drag our attention out towards sense objects, and when we understand that he is not only peerless, but also the only one who actually exists, it may seem to us that this is only his trick. But actually, it is, but it is actually only we who are tricking ourselves. But we who are tricking and being who are both tricking and being tricked, is not ourself as we actually are, but only ourself as ego. However, since Arunachya is what we actually are, namely Satchit, the fundamental awareness of being, I am, which is the reality of ego, he alone had the power to prevent us tricking ourselves. Since ego is the false awareness, but is always aware of itself as I am this body, and that is consequently aware of the illusory appearance of other things, namely the shares, its very nature is to trick itself. That is our very rising as ego, by our very rising as ego, we are deluding ourselves because we are taking ourselves to be something other than what we actually are. And because we delude ourselves, we begin to think happiness lies outside ourselves rather than ourselves being happiness. So we go seeking happiness outside. So the very nature of ego is to trick itself. When such is the case, it is only by the grace of our natural that we can avoid being tricked by ourselves. That is, we can avoid tricking ourselves only by clinging to our own reality, I am. But since the very nature of ourself as ego is to cling to anything other than ourself, we cannot cling to ourself without thereby surrendering ourselves. I mean, surrendering ego. And to surrender ego, requires ego-denying and all-consuming love. Such love cannot come from ourself as ego, because the very nature of ego is to attach itself to other things. So that love to, uh, to attend to ourself and thereby merge back in ourself, it can come only from ourself as we actually are, which is our natural. That's why his grace is essential. That's why Bhagavan often used to say, grace is the beginning, the middle, and the end. That doesn't mean our effort isn't necessary, but whatever effort we make in this path is only his grace working through us. That is, it's his grace that gives us the liking to make the effort to turn within. 
therefore blaming our natural for the tricks that we as ego are actually playing on ourselves, as Bhagavan does in this way, in this verse, is a way of praying to him to save us from a web of self-delusion in which we have entangled ourselves. Even without our praying for uh, praying uh, for him to do so, he is of course doing not only everything that is necessary, but also everything that is possible to save us from this web. But by praying to him in this way, we are cooperating with him by willingly giving him our consent to do what he anyway wants to do, but which we were previously obstructing him from doing by not yielding ourselves to him. In other words, by praying to him with all our heart to do what he wants to do, uh, we are attuning our will to his will. And only when our will is perfectly attuned and hence surrendered to his will, are we thereby refraining from obstructing his will as we have been doing till now, that the very nature of the, the very rising of ourself as ego is obstructing his will, because his will is that we should subside and dissolve back into ourselves. So the very nature of ego is to be constantly obstructing his will. So it's only by being willing to give ourselves to him, to yield ourselves to him, surrender ourselves to him, that we can clear the way. Uh, so to speak, for him to do what he wants to do, because he will, as I said earlier, he will not force us. So our cooperation, our surrender is absolutely essential. Um, <clears throat> the reason why Bhagavan says, Unsu Dei Idu Arunachala, this is only your trick or certainly your trick Arunachala, can also be explained in another way. Um, again, this is not this other way of explaining it this is the same thing we're explaining this isn't a, a this is just uh, viewing the same thing from a different light from a different angle as it were so um what is implied by sudu trick in this context is maya but since he explained that what is called maya is only ego or mind why does he refer to it to it here as unsudu your trick, thereby implying that it is Arunachala's Maya. In order to understand this, we need to consider his teachings more deeply. That is, Arunachala is Apmasurupa, the real nature of ourself. In other words, Arunachala is what we actually are. As he says in the seventh paragraph of Nana, in the very first sentence of the seventh paragraph of Nana, he says, Yatatamai Uludu Apmasurupa Mondre. What actually exists is only Atmasarupa. Uh, so that implies, since Arunachya is, is Atmasarupa, our own real nature, that implies that Arunachya alone is what actually exists. This is why he describes him in this verse as Oruvan, the one, thereby implying the only one who actually exists. Since he alone actually exists, whatever else may seem to exist, does not actually exist and is therefore just an illusory appearance. Everything that seems to be other than Arunachala is therefore a product of Maya, which means, as Bhagavan often explained, Maya means Ya-Ma. Ya means she-who, Ma means not. So she-who is not. So Maya, Bhagavan often used to say, because um, a lot of, uh, of other schools of Vedanta 
but the more dualistic uh, schools of uh, Vashista Drayton, they often accuse Shankara of being a Mayavadin. That means one who contends for um, Maya. But Bhagavan said that is a, an unfair ac- accusation. Shankara is not a Mayavadin because Shankara says Maya does not exist. Other schools of Vedanta believe that Maya actually exists. Shankara is the one who denies the existence of Maya. So just like we don't say uh, someone who um, who uh, uh, denies the existence of God, we don't call them an Ishwaravadin, a, a theist. We call them an atheist. Um, so Shankara is not a Mayavadin. He's the one who is denying the existence of Maya. So the reason being that Maya means she who is not. So this is what Bhagavan often used to explain. So since Maya is not, like their mother, all other things do not actually exist, but merely seem to exist. That is, is Maya gives rise to the appearance of all other things. So Maya is the, is the mother of, of everything. And all, so all her progeny, since she doesn't exist, her progeny also doesn't exist. And she is nothing but ego, her false rising as I am this person. That is Maya. Um, since Maya and all its progeny seem to exist, even though they don't, do not actually exist, they cannot be anything other than Aranachala who alone actually exists. So it is Aranachala alone who appears in the form of Maya and all its progeny. As Bhagavan implies in the first two sentences of verse 6 of Arunachashtakam, what he says in that verse, in the first two sentences, in the first sentence he says, Undu oru porul arivu oli ulume ni. Undu means there is. Oru porul, one substance. Arivoli, the light of awareness, Ullame, the heart alone, me, you. So what he's saying in this first sentence is there is only one poro, one real substance, you, the heart, the light of awareness. And then in the next sentence he says, Ulladu unnil alladu, Ulladu unnil alladu illa adiseya shakti. That means, um, Ulladu uh, here means there is. Um, oh, uh, we can take it as exists. We can take it as a verb here. So, unil in you, Ulladu exists. Uh, Adiseya Shakti, an extraordinary power. Alladu uh, illa, uh, 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 which is not other, implying what which is not other than you. That is, O'Nil had, had both the meaning of in you and than you. So, it, it, uh, but in you exists an extraordinary power which is not other than you. And he also confirms this, that in the, in the, um, in the last sentence of the same verse, he says, Arul Kundre, Hill of Grace, Nindrida Sendrida, let them... Uh, uh, cease or let them go on. Nine bida bindre, they do not exist at all apart from you. They here refers to uh, everything that appears from that Adiseya Shakti called Maya. 
Um, that is between the first two sentences and this last sentence, there's one long third sentence where Bhagavan explains how everything proceeds from that Adiseya Shakti uh, in the form of thoughts, which uh, are seen inside and outside as a world outside and a, 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 physical, a seemingly physical world outside and a seemingly mental world inside. All these are nothing but... Uh, shadowy thoughts but appear on the mirror of the mind he describes there um, so what he refers to in this verse 6 of Arunachashtakam as Adiseya Shakti he, he uses the same term Adiseya Shakti and of course he's referring to the same Adiseya Shakti uh, in, in, at the beginning of the fourth paragraph of Nana. Um, and that what he says there is that, that Adiseya Shakti is the mind. And he's, he's using mind here in the sense of ego, which is what is otherwise called Maya. So what, what, uh, what he says about that Adiseya Shakti uh, very succinctly in verse 6 of Aranachala Ashtakam, he clarified by what he says about it in the first eight sentences of, of this fourth paragraph. We can almost take this, these first sentences as, an, as a commentary on or explanation of what he says in a very succinct and compact way in verse 6 of Arunachashtakam. What he says in, uh, in, this, um, in this, um, this, uh, the first eight sentences of this fourth paragraph of Nana, he begins by saying, Manamembadu apmasarupa tilulla or adiseya shakti. What is called mind is an adiseya shakti, an extraordinary power that exists in apmasarupa, in the real nature of ourself. Adu sakala ninevu galayum totru vikindradu. It uh, makes or causes all thoughts to appear. Um, Ninevugale Elam Niki Parkindrapodu Taniai Manamendro Podolile. When one looks, excluding all thoughts, solitarily, there is not any such thing as mind. Ahayal Nineve Manatin Sarupam. Therefore, Thought alone is the swarupa. In this case, he's using swarupa not in the sense of our real nature, but in the sense of the very nature of the mind. Manatin swarupam. The very nature of the mind is just thoughts. If we remove all thoughts, there's no such thing as mind. So the mind is nothing but thoughts, in other words. And then he goes on to say, Ninevugale tabitu jagam endro Porul aniyamai ille. Excluding thoughts, there is not separately any such thing as world. In other words, the world is nothing but thoughts. As he says in towards the end of the fourteenth paragraph of Nana, he says, "Jagamembadu um, nenebe." What is called the world is only thoughts. Um, that is just like the the world we see in a in a dream. Is just our own mental fabrication. So all the things we see in dream are actually just our own uh, thoughts, our own mental impressions. Likewise, this world that we see is ju- is just our own mental fabrication. So it all consists of nothing but thoughts. 
So Bhagavan uses the term thoughts in a very broad sense to include all phenomena, because all phenomena are just a mental fabrication. Uh, so excluding thoughts, there's not separately any such thing as uh, world. And then he goes on to say, um, Tukatil Ninevugal Ille, Jagamum Ille. In sleep, there are no thoughts, and there is also no world. The implication is there are no thoughts, consequently, there's no world, because the world is nothing but thoughts. Um, and then he says, um, Jagra Swapnam Galil. Uh, in sleep, sorry, in, in waking and dream, there are thoughts and there is also a world. Was, why is there a world in waking and dream? Because there are thoughts. So to, but one is the consequence of the other because the world is nothing but thoughts. And then he says in, in the eighth sentence, he says, um, uh, Silindu Puchi, Epidi, Tanedum Irindu, Veliil, Nule, Nutru, Maropodium, Tanul, Irtu, Kolkirido. That means just as a spider spins out thread from within itself and again draws it back into itself, Apidie, uh, likewise, in exactly the same way, Manamum, Taned Iditil Irindu, Jagate, Totu Vitu, Marapodium, Tanidame, Oduki, Kolkiradu. That means, uh, in exactly the same way, the mind makes the world appear from within itself and again dissolves it back into itself. That is the, the, what Bhagavan is referring to here. This is actually an analogy given in, um, in the Upanishads. That is, this isn't referring to a spider's web but to, I think, what is uh, called a gossamer thread. That is, sometimes spiders will, um, will, uh, will sp spin a single thread out from, them, from within themselves. And they, they go down that thread, and then if they catch their prey, they then go up the thread, drawing it back in. So it's referring to that. But spiders spin that out from themselves and again draw it back into themselves. In Upanishads, it is generally interpreted, but it is Brahman that is the spider that spins out the, the thread. But Bhagavan makes it clear it is the mind. So is Bhagavan contradicting the Upanishads? No, because the mind is that Adisaya Shakti called Maya that spins out the world. And that Adisaya Shakti is nothing other than Atmasarupa, which is Brahman. So it is not other than Brahman, but it's not Brahman as Brahman. It's just be pure being. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't. Brahman doesn't create the world. Well, just like the mind spins out the world from within itself and draws it back into itself, such is the nature of Maya. Um, so, uh, so it is when when it is said in in the Upanishads, but it is Brahman that uh, projects the world and draws it back into itself. It doesn't mean Brahman as Brahman. It means Brahman in the form of mind, in the form of Maya, but projects this. Um, so Bhagavan has clarified that here. So um, as Bhagavan says here, 
this Adiseya Shakti called mind or Maya, which causes the appearance of all other things, like a spider spinning thread out, spinning thread from within itself, that Adiseya Shakti exists in Atmasarupa. And as he says in the second sentence of verse six of Arunachashtakam, uh, Ulladu Unil uh, Alladu Illa Adiseya Shakti. In you exists Adiseya Shakti, which is not other than you. It is not only not other than Arunach, it, it, it is not it is not other than Arunachala. So it, it exists in Arunachala and it is not other than Arunachala, who is Atmasarupa. So this is why he refers to it in this 12th paragraph of Akshamai as Unsudu, your trick. That is, Maya is nothing other than Arunachala. But Arunachala, that is, just like the, the snake is nothing but a rope, but the rope is not a snake. Uh, the Maya is nothing but Arunachala, but Arunachala is not Maya. Um, uh, um, that is, Maya is a, a pseudo, is a pseudo or trick because it deludes us into seeing the one thing that, uh, that alone actually exists, namely Arunachala, our own real nature, as all this multiplicity. And it is Arunachala's sense in the sense that it exists in him and is not other than him, because he alone is what actually exists. So whose else could it be? This is also explained by Bhagavan in other, in using other terms in verse 13 of Uludunapdu. What Bhagavan says in verse 13 of Uludunapdu is, Jnanamam tane me, oneself who is awareness alone is real. Jnana in this context means pure awareness. So Bhagavan is saying but oneself, for what we actually are is pure awareness, and that alone is what is real. Uh, uh, but then he uses the same word awareness in a different, in the sense of mind. The awareness that it, awareness that is manifold is ignorance. What he means by awareness that is manifold, nana bam nyanam, is um, is the mind who, who, uh, whose root, the ego, is the awareness that sees the one as many. In an in an earlier version of this. Uh, um, Verse 13 of Uludunapdu, Bhagavan, instead of nana vamyanam, which literally means the awareness which is um, which is varied or which is multiple, he, he was nana by kankindra jnanam, the jnana that sees as many, the awareness that sees as many. That is, the mind is the awareness that sees the one thing that actually exists, namely the pure awareness I am, as all this multiplicity. Um, then he says in the next sentence, even that, uh, he says, um, so nanabam jnanamam, uh, that awareness that uh, sees as many is ignorance. Hoyamagnanami, even that ignorance, that agnana, which is unreal, nanabam, nana, sorry, jnanamam tanne. Andri Indru, even that ignorance does not exist other than oneself, who is pure awareness, who is uh, who is jnana. Um, so, though that ignorance is unreal, it does not exist. It does, that means it does not seem to exist except as uh, oneself, who is the real awareness. 
And then he gives an analogy. All the many ornaments are unreal. Do they exist except as gold, which is real, say? That is, when you have many gold ornaments, though they have many different, appear in many different forms, as rings, as necklaces, as bangles, as tiaras, or so, or uh, bricks or whatever, gold can appear in so many forms, but whatever form it may appear in, the substance is the same. So what actually exists is only the substance, not the forms, because what is today a bangle can tomorrow be melted and made into several rings. Um, so the, the forms are not real, the substance is real, that is the implication. Uh, of course, Bhagavan is using this as an analogy. He's not literally saying gold is real. He just the, the point he's making here is what is real is not the form but the substance. So, what is the one real substance? It is one jnanamam uh, tane. Uh, that is the one jnanamam tane me. One self alone, who is pure awareness alone, is real. That is the real substance. So even this ignorance, even this awareness of multiplicity, is, that is just the form. The substance is the pure awareness. That alone is real. So Arunachari is the pure awareness. All this multiplicity is just ignorance. All the, what we see as multiplicity, and the one who sees all the multiplicity is all just ignorance and therefore unreal. That is... Though ego or mind, which is the false awareness that sees itself as numerous phenomena, is ignorant and unreal, both it and the many things it sees itself as are all nothing other than the one real substance, namely Atmasarupa, ourself as we actually are, which is pure awareness, just as gold ornaments, though many and diverse in appearance, are all nothing other than gold, which is their one substance. In other words, it is only Arunachala, the one real substance, that appears as the subject, namely ego, and all objects, all the objects perceived by it. So all this is only his sudu, his trick. Um, however, it is only in the self-ignorant view of ourself as ego that Arunachala appears as all these things. Because in the clear view of Arunachala, who is pure awareness, there is no such appearance at all. So this sudo or trick of his seems to exist only so long as we rise as ego. When we know ourselves as we actually are, namely as pure awareness, I am, it will be clear to us that there never was any such trick or maya at all. In other words, we experience the semi-existence of maya and all its progeny only so long as we are not aware of ourselves as we actually are, as Bhagavan uh, confirms in the fourth paragraph of Nana. That is, after explaining that the mind projects the world from within itself and again dissolves it back into itself, just as a spider spins out thread from within itself and again draws it back into itself, he says, um, manam, uh, so in the, those, four, those ne next three sentences, he says, immediately after using that spider analogy, he says, Manam Apmasurupa Tenindru Velipadampodu Jagam Tondram. When the mind comes out from Apmasurupa, the world appears. Ahaya, therefore, Jagam Tondram Podu Sarupam Tondradu. Therefore, when the world appears, 
Swarupa, our own real nature, does not appear. Uh, Swarupam tondrum, within brackets, prakasikam, podu, uh, jagam tondradu. When the world appears, within brackets, shines, the world does not appear. What he means by Swarupa appearing and not appearing, uh, that is, there's never a moment when Swarupa doesn't appear. We're always aware of ourselves as I am. But Swarupa does not appear as it actually is, so long as we mistake ourselves to be, I am this body. Uh, so it's only in the view of ego, which is always aware of itself as I am this body, but the world seems to exist. Uh, so, so long as the world seems to exist, we are aware of ourselves as a body in that world. So we are not aware of ourselves as we actually are. Though we're always aware of ourselves, we're always aware I am, because I am seems to be mixed and conflated with adjuncts, we seem to be something other than what we actually are. Um, so Swarupa is never completely concealed, but doesn't shine as it is, so long as we're aware of anything other than ourselves. Because when we're aware of anything other than ourselves, we're aware of ourselves as I am this body. Um, that is, so long as we rise as ego and consequently see ourselves as all this multiplicity, we are not seeing ourselves as we actually are. And when we see ourselves as we actually are, namely as pure awareness, which is one, infinite, indivisible, and immutable, we will not see ourselves as all this multiplicity. Seeing ourselves as all this multiplicity is what Bhagavan refers to in this 12th verse as our natural pseudo or trick. Whereas seeing ourselves as the one pure awareness that we actually are is seeing his jyoti uru, or his form of light, namely the light of pure awareness I am, which is what he actually is. Therefore, in verse 32 of Akshram Rai, he prays, Sudu se denne sodia deneyun jyoti uru ka That means, Arunachala, not testing me doing tricks. He uses the same word sudu here in this 32nd verse, but he uses it in this 12th verse. So, Arunachala, not testing me doing tricks. Now show your form of light. Um, if we expand that, that is what that implies is, Arunachala, without testing, examining, or tempting me hereafter by doing or playing tricks, Whatever tricks means, displaying all these phenomena, which lure my attention away from, my, from you, my real nature, uh, as you have been doing till now, at least now, at this very moment, show me your form of light. Your form of light means your real nature, the clear light of pure awareness I am. That is, so long as we do not see his form of light, it will seem to us that by his extraordinary power, Adisaya Shakti of Maya, are naturally playing tricks on us and thereby tempting and testing us. But when he reveals his form of light to us as our own real nature, we will see that what we previously saw as Maya and all its tricks is actually nothing other than his form of light, which alone is what actually exists. In other words, what we are now seeing as all this multiplicity consisting of a subject or knower, namely ego, and all this seemingly endless diversity of objects or phenomena known by, known by ego um, is actually nothing other than our natural, 
for one indivisible and immutable light of pure awareness. Since the extraordinary and wonderful power of Maya, uh, sorry, such is the extraordinary and wonderful power of his Maya. So as Bhagavan asks in the next verse, namely verse 13, other than himself, who can or how to understand him or know him as he actually is? What Bhagavan sings in the next verse, verse 13 is, Omkara Puru means um, substance of Omkara. That means the, the inner and ultimate substance that is the import, the purport of, uh, of uh, Omkara. What is the purport of Omkara? It's nothing but Brahman. So Bhagavan is saying, he's addressing Arunacha as Brahman, Brahman who is the, the true import of uh, Omkara. He doesn't uh, specify Brahman here, but it implies Brahman when he says the Omkara Puru, the, the, the substance or the meaning of Omkara, what is referred to as Omkara. So the, the, the import of the, 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 the purport, the meaning, the substance of, uh, of what, what the word Omkara refers to, that is Brahman, that is Aranachala. So Aranachala is the, the import of Om. Uh, and then he says, uh, what I talked about earlier, Oppu Vivu Illoi, you who are without equal, Oppu uh, uh, means what is equal or what is similar. So there's nothing equal to him, nothing even similar to him. We can't say anything is like Aranachala uh, or superior. There's nothing superior to Aranachala. Why? Because he's that light of pure awareness that is shining in the heart of all. As, as pure awareness, as Bhagavan says in, uh, elsewhere. Um, uh, so since you are the, the true import of Om, and since you're without equal or superior, who can know you? That When he says who can know you, it implies other than yourself who can know you as you actually are. That is, since Arunachala is pure awareness, which can never be an object of awareness, he cannot be known by anyone other than himself. So if we aspire to know him as we actually is, we must be willing to give ourselves wholly to him. Because being devoured by him alone is truly knowing him. As Bhagavan says in the final sentence of verse 21 of Uludunapadu, Unadal Khan, is a very simple sentence, three words. Un means food, Adal means becoming, Khan means seeing. Becoming food is seeing. That's a very simple statement, but it has a very, very deep meaning. Becoming food means we need to be swallowed by him. In other words, we need to lose ourselves in him. We need to become one with him. We need to dissolve back into him because he is our own reality. So only by becoming his food, in other words, uh, dissolving into him and becoming one with him, that alone is, uh, is seeing him. Therefore, let us pray to him to cook us well. That is the, the Sanskrit word pakva. Pakva, has, um, pakva means what is ripe uh, or mature or well cooked. So they, they, only when we are sufficiently pakva are we ready to be, uh, to, 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 uh, only, the, only ones who are suitably pakpa will be willing to surrender themselves to him. And only when we're willing to be surrender ourselves to him will he swallow us. So let us pray to him to cook us well, 
so that we may become food worthy to be eaten by him, as he has taught us to pray in so many words, in this, in so many ways, in this supreme love song, Sri Aranachala Akshara Manamalai. Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Aranachala Ramanaya.